I want to tell you a story about former Harvard President Claudine Gay. It said at Harvard last September, less than four months ago, the night before Gay's inauguration as president of Harvard University. It's a Thursday night, a school night, when the Crimson sends me to cover a showcase in honor of Gay's inauguration. So I pack into the theater, which holds a thousand people, and it's clear who's the star of the night. Welcome everyone, and welcome President Gay. For the next hour, student groups would perform a series of what they called, quote, offerings to Gay, pieces of tribute delivered in dance and in song. Throughout the night, Gay would get at least three standing ovations from the hundreds of deans, faculty, and donors in the crowd. In a photo published in the Crimson from that night, Gay is beaming beside a group of students, having just joined the performers on stage after the last act. Everyone is standing in ovation, celebrating the first ever black president of Harvard with applause. But less than a month later, campus would be in turmoil. When students and people around the world chant from the river to the sea, I ask, what are they calling for? Gay, just weeks after her inauguration, would be tasked to handle one of the most tumultuous chapters of Harvard's history in recent memory. She'd be slammed with not just a congressional investigation into her handling of anti-Semitism on campus, but also dozens of allegations of plagiarism in her work. And on January 2nd, facing mounting pressure and feeling that she'd lost the confidence of the very governing board that selected her, Gay resigned. But the controversies unleashed something bigger than Claudine Gay herself. Because America's most elite universities are now under heavy fire. And Harvard's critics in Congress have promised they won't stop anytime soon. In this special News Talk episode, It depends on the context. It does not depend on the context. We take you through the rise and fall of President Gay. The answer is yes, and this is why you should resign. We dive into just what happened in the days leading up to our president's resignation. University presidents from Harvard, Penn, and MIT are under fire. As Harvard launches a global search for its next president, we'll give you the latest on what's next. We'll give you the look from inside Harvard, from the reporters first broke the news. From the Harvard Crimson, I'm Frank Joe. This is News Talk. Good morning. The Committee on Education and Workforce will come to order. Part one, the scandal, courtesy of our December 12th episode. Chairwoman Fox, Ranking Member Scott. It's December 5th, 2023. We begin today with the testimony that first throws Gay's presidency into peril. My name is Claudine Gay, and I'm the president of Harvard University. It's an honor to be... In the Capitol building, two of our reporters are in the hearing room, reporting live on Gay's testimony as she begins her opening statement. During these difficult days, I have felt the bonds of our community strain. In response... I have sought to confront hate while preserving free expression. 
This is difficult work, and I know that I have not always gotten it right. Coming into the hearing, Gay was in a tough spot. In the days after Hamas's October 7th attacks on Israel, Gay had faced widespread criticism for an initial statement that did not explicitly condemn Hamas. That initial statement also didn't address a controversial statement signed by more than 30 Harvard student groups that held Israel quote entirely responsible for the violence. By the end of October, Gay had created an advisory group on anti-Semitism and a task force to support pro-Palestine students who faced doxing attacks. But turmoil on campus continued. So for Gay, this testimony was about explaining herself and the university's response. We at Harvard reject anti-Semitism and denounce any trace of it on our campus or within our community. But the testimony only made things worse. Soon after, Congress would launch an investigation into anti-Semitism at Harvard. More than 70 lawmakers would call on Gay to resign. More than 700 faculty members would call on Gay to stay. And Liz McGill, sitting immediately to Gay's left in this hearing, would resign as president of the University of Pennsylvania. All of this was in no small part because of one representative at the hearing. Ms. Stefanik, you're recognized for five minutes. Dr. Gay, a Harvard student calling for the mass murder of African Americans is not protected free speech at Harvard, correct? Elise M. Stefanik, the fourth most powerful Republican in the House. She's a Harvard alum. Wrote for the Crimson while she was a student here. Graduated from the college in 2006. In 2021, the day after the assault on the Capitol on January 6th, she voted against certifying the results of the 2020 elections. She and Gay do not see eye to eye. So when Gay tries to speak, our commitment to it's free a yes speech. or no question. Is that corrected? Is that okay for students to call for the mass murder of African Americans at Harvard? Is that protected free speech? Our commitment to free speech—it's a yes or no question. Gay would apologize for the testimony in an interview with the Crimson a couple days later, and say that she got quote caught up in it, in the combative exchanges, and when she did, it made things worse, much worse. Because as the hearing stretches from the morning deep into the afternoon, it's in these last few minutes after nearly six hours of grilling. That Gay and Stefanik have an exchange that more than 15 million people would watch online. That would lead dozens of lawmakers to call on Gay to resign. That would see Harvard Hillel, the quote center and catalyst for Jewish life on campus, condemn Gay's response and question her ability to lead. That would set in motion a downward spiral. So the answer is yes. That calling for the genocide of Jews. Violates Harvard Code of Conduct. Correct. Again, it depends on the context. It does not depend on the context. The answer is yes, and this is why you should resign. These are unacceptable answers across the board. For Gay, things would soon get even worse. Because for an academic who'd won top prizes for both her undergrad thesis at Stanford and her PhD dissertation at Harvard, it was one thing to question Gay's ability as a leader, and another to question her credibility as a scholar. For all of her grilling, Stefanik had referred to Gay as Doctor Gay throughout the entire testimony. But soon, Gay's scholarship would also come under fire. 
five days after the hearing, as backlash over her testimony blew up online, a conservative activist called Christopher Rufo published a Substack post accusing Gay of plagiarism. Rufo had been sitting on the allegations, and Harvard had known about them, for weeks. The New York Post had first brought the allegations to Harvard in late October. At Gay's request, the Harvard Corporation, the university's highest and famously secretive governing board, had appointed three political scientists to investigate the allegations and itself looked through Gay's published work. They concluded that yes, there were instances where Gay had lifted language from other scholars without adequate citation. But given that many of these instances dealt with narrow technical questions rather than other people's ideas, Gay's actions, they said, fell short of academic misconduct and Gay submitted seven corrections to her work. But online, the story spiraled. Eventually, more than 50 allegations would come public. Critics leaned in. But here's the thing. While Gay's resignation might seem inevitable now, it wasn't always that way. Because a week after Gay's testimony, as the plagiarism allegations and anti-Semitism handling made waves, the Harvard Corporation pledged to support Gay unanimously. So it looked like Gay would keep her job. For the next three weeks, as corporation members flew off to vacation homes and resorts for the holidays, we heard very little publicly from the corporation or Gay. But according to a source close to Gay, it was in these last days of 2023 when, away from the media and the world, facing mounting allegations of plagiarism in her scholarship and questions about her ability to handle anti-Semitism on campus, Gay made her decision to resign. So at 12.18 p.m. on Tuesday, January 2nd, Gay sent out an email to the Harvard community. Quote, It has been distressing to have doubt cast on my commitments to confronting hate and to upholding scholarly rigor, two bedrock values that are fundamental to who I am and frightening to be subjected to personal attacks and threats fueled by racial animus. The next day, Gay defended her decision to resign in an opinion guest essay published in the New York Times. She will return to serving as a member of the university's faculty. Part two, the downfall. This breaking news out of Cambridge, Massachusetts. President of Harvard University, Claudine Gay is stepping down. Weeks after her controversial testimony before Congress, marking the shortest uh, tenure of a presidency in the university's nearly 400-year history. And as she faced mounting accusations of plagiarism. She is resigning from office. At The Crimson, two of our reporters were the first to break the news. They join us now to discuss what happened leading up to Gay's resignation. My name is Emma H. Heider, and I am a reporter covering central administration for the Crimson. And my name is Cam E. Kettles, and I cover central administration for the Crimson. Thank you so much, Emma and Cam, for joining us. Both of you scooped the news that Gay was going to resign before any national media outlet. Give us a little bit more insight into her decision-making process and what may have pushed her over the edge. It was genuinely building pressure. I mean, yes, it became quite clear to everyone that this was going to be a near impossible turnaround with her remaining as president. Yeah, in her op-ed and in letters from her and the corporation to Harvard affiliates, she mentioned that she had been receiving death threats and also been the victim of racist personal attacks. So there's also very deep personal toll to be at the center of really intense national and international spotlight. 
But ultimately, I don't know if anyone suspected that her resignation would come just as soon as it did. The fact that I remember going to her inauguration and being there with the entire Harvard community, I don't think that anyone even two months ago would have predicted that her presidency would end like this. In the wake of Gay's resignation, the very lawmakers and critics responsible for some of those personal attacks took to TV and social media to celebrate what they saw as a victory over higher education. But here's the thing. These celebrations started as knocks on Gay, but quickly morphed into something else. Two of our reporters, Jack Trapanik and Joyce Kim, looked into it. They join us now to break down what they found. Thank you so much, Joyce and Jack. Joyce, tell us a little bit about how lawmakers and Congress and critics of Claudine Gay's reacted following her resignation. Yeah, for many of Claudine Gay's loudest and fiercest critics, her resignation was news of victory. The most notable critics were conservative activist Christopher Rufo, Harvard donor and billionaire Bill Ackman, and Representative Elise Stefanik. Rufo, notably, he wrote, today we celebrate victory and, you know, tomorrow we get back to the fight. And so they show no signs of stopping anytime soon. And I would also add that from what we've heard from lawmakers, including uh, Chairwoman Virginia Fox, who chairs the um, House Committee on Education and the Workforce that originally summoned Gay, said that the investigation would proceed, even though she has resigned. Elise Stefanik took a very triumphant and gleeful tone in her statement. She called it the beginning of what will be the greatest scandal of any college or university in history. And we saw also from Alaska Senator Dan Sullivan, an alum of the college himself, saying in a tweet, quote, in the new year, I'll be working on legislation to reform these once respected education and research institutions. It's statements like these, which really seem to indicate a fundamental belief in um, some kind of brokenness in the higher education system, which I think the resignation was the pinnacle of in this moment. Jack, local and state leaders also weighed in. Tell us what they've said. Yeah, of course. So we are in a democratic state and uh, municipality. So a lot of state leaders expressed a lot of regret over her departure. Cambridge Mayor E. Denise Simmons said she was saddened by her departure and called for Harvard to appoint another woman of color as her successor. Joyce, one critical argument circulating in the wake of Gay's resignation and at the time of her announcement as university president is conversations surrounding diversity, equity, and inclusion. Tell us how those arguments have taken shape following her resignation. Yeah, taking a step back and looking at where Ackman, Rufo, and Stefanik have come from, it's important to recognize Bill Ackman's tweets from back in December where he criticized how the university treats DEI policies and Rufo's history of being a long-standing critic denouncing DEI policies. You can see that with Rufo's tweet on December 10, when he first releases these plagiarism allegations. He writes that he waited for the moment of maximal impact amid the height of the controversy surrounding Claudine Gay's testimony in Congress. Yeah, we saw a lot of leaders around the country paint the exit as essentially the result of a lot of racist pressures. Civil rights activist Reverend Al Sharpton told CNN that it was an attack on every Black woman in the country who's put a crack in the glass ceiling. 
We have another state senator who graduated from the college actually saying she was a victim, quote, of a concerted political campaign to undermine and impugn her scholarship and leadership. So there was definitely a strong feeling that regardless of the merits of the criticisms against her, there was a fundamental attack on higher education and what it has been made to symbolize in the United States with uh, activists like Rufo. Joyce, it seems like then that Gay's critics are now continuing their attacks. Ackman has already promised to launch what he called a, quote, review of the work of all current MIT faculty members, President Kornbluth, other officers of the corporation, and its board members for plagiarism. Let us know where they're looking next. Yeah, so the only president remaining is Sally Kornbluth of MIT. And shortly after the news of Gay's resignation broke, Stefanik tweeted, two down. And, you know, when McGill had resigned, she tweeted, one down, two to go. And so for her, it's this sort of game to take down these presidents one by one. And the Harvard Corporation, they've also been subject to a lot of criticism from Stefanik, Rufo, and Ackman. Stefanik tweeted, members of the Harvard Corporation have also demonstrated, like, some sort of incompetency and faulty handling of all the tensions going on in campus. And so we can expect to continue to see right-wing attacks and criticism from those who perhaps have a political agenda. Thank you so much, Joyce and Jack, for joining us to talk through how gays, critics, and lawmakers have weighed in in the wake of this news. Thank you, Frank. It was a pleasure to speak with you. Next, we go to Harvard, where the Crimson got to work talking to students and faculty in the hours after Gay's resignation. Joyce rejoins us with two of our fellow Crimson reporters to share what they have to say. Hi, my name is Michelle N. Mponsa, and I cover Harvard College Administration for the Harvard Crimson. Hi, my name is Tilly R. Robinson, and I cover Faculty of Arts and Sciences Administration for the Harvard Crimson. Thank you so much, Joyce, Tilly, and Michelle, for joining us. Tilly, walk us through the lay of the land when it comes to faculty reactions to this news. Yeah, so probably the most common theme was a faculty divided. Many of them felt that this was a campaign to take down her presidency for political reasons and were disappointed in the university for not standing behind her more strongly. For instance, Alfred Gazzetti, professor of art, film, and visual studies, wrote to us that... For me, this recalls the worst days of McCarthyism. Today, I am ashamed of the university's leadership and ashamed, as I never thought I would, to be a member of the Harvard faculty. On the other hand, some faculty members did view her response in front of the House committee as unacceptable, that the plagiarism allegations rendered her incapable of leading a university. Daniel J. Jacob, who is a professor of environmental science and engineering, wrote to us that he was relieved by Gay's resignation because of what he called her lack of moral clarity about anti-Semitism at Harvard. Similarly, computer science professor and former dean of Harvard College, Harry R. Lewis, wrote to us that her resignation is sad, but it had to happen, and that Gay had lost the moral authority needed for the president's voice and decisions to be trusted either inside or outside Harvard. Michelle, how did students react? So student reactions were definitely very, very split. One student said that Claudine Gay's resignation essentially set the precedent that rich and powerful people and politicians can throw money around and thereby control America's institutions. And still other students felt that her resignation was necessary and was a way for the university to ultimately repair its image. So definitely mixed opinions in the student body. 
So let's zero in on the allegations of plagiarism in her published academic work. Tell us how faculty were split into the end of her tenure. I think you're absolutely right to say that the faculty were split. We looked into whether President Gay still had support among the faculty who had signed an initial letter to urge university leadership and the Harvard Corporation to resist political pressures in the wake of her disastrous congressional testimony on December 5th, including calls for the removal of President Gay. Many of the scholars who signed the letter expressed their continued support for President Gay, regardless of the allegations. On the other hand, amid this steady onslaught of scrutiny, I think Gay did experience a loss of support among the faculty. Some said that the pattern of the allegations did make them concerned about Gay's scholarship, or else that the allegations rendered her ineffective. And that was probably enough to help pave the road for her resignation. Michelle, what did students make of the plagiarism allegations? There was a lot of discord. One student said Claudine Gay was already embroiled in so much criticism after the congressional testimony. The plagiarism allegations were opportunistic and just the cherry on top. Michelle, as you alluded to, plagiarism allegations weren't the only scandal that Gay faced. Joyce, walk us through faculty reactions to Gay's handling of anti-Semitism in the last months of her presidency. Yeah, Gay has been embroiled in scandal since the October 7 attacks. First, it was for her late and ambiguous response. And as time passed, it was from both sides amid all the Israel and Palestine tensions on campus. A lot of the faculty's responses to the allegations of anti-Semitism were very clearly disapproving. But also, a lot of the faculty members caught on to the nuance that came with the testimony. One person put it as a political theater. Yeah, and I think to when Representative Stefanik asked President Gay how she would respond to students calling for the genocide of Jews, President Gay was responding to an environment where previously Gay had taken some backlash among students for a statement she issued condemning certain student protesters for chanting from the river to the sea, a slogan that they viewed as symbolizing efforts to pursue freedom for people in Palestine, but that some Jewish students on campus understood to signify calls for violence against Jews in Israel. The statements made by students had been very much contested. So dealing with those complex contemporary and historical questions, in some ways, Stefanik's loaded question was not an easy one to answer. Because of that, many faculty extended President Gay some grace. They felt that she had repeatedly condemned anti-Semitism on campus in statements and elsewhere in the hearing, and that her answer may well have been the technically correct one in terms of Harvard's commitment to free speech. On the other hand, some faculty were deeply concerned that she did not have an immediate knee-jerk reaction to condemn calls for the genocide of Jews and that her performance did disqualify her from the presidency. Michelle, what did students think of her handling of campus anti-Semitism? Yeah, students' reactions were a bit more in alignment. Most students agreed to some extent that her handling was inadequate. Two students said that her resignation was a way to really rehabilitate and begin to address anti-Semitism on campus. A spokesperson for the Harvard Undergraduate Palestine Solidarity Committee, which penned that initial statement that drew intense backlash across the country, said that Claudine Gay suppressed pro-Palestine speech on campus and is now facing that same suppression by multiple conservative groups and individual actors. A piece of this we discussed with Jack and Joyce was just how attacks on DEI have intensified in the wake of Gay's resignation. What did faculty and students have to say on this front? 
Yeah, even if they had substantial criticism of gay, several of the faculty noted concerns over how this might feed into bias regarding what having a person of color in leadership looks like. And one student said that her having the shortest tenure in university history might make it more difficult for future Black students and Black academics to ascend to that position. Yeah, I think there is a real sense among some of the faculty we heard from that President Gay's appointment marked the cusp of a historic moment for Harvard and that the end of her presidency has brought a loss of potential and perhaps brought some of their hopes crashing down. Thank you so much, Joyce, Tilly, and Michelle for joining us. Thank you, Frank. Thanks so much, Frank. Part three. The future. As Harvard launches into its search for its next president, we give you the long view on Gay's presidency and what's coming next. Cam, Emma, and reporters Sally E. Edwards and Natalie Bandura join us to discuss. Hi, my name is Natalie Bandura, and I'm a reporter on House and Student Life for the Crimson. Hi, my name is Sally Edwards, and I'm a police accountability reporter for the Harvard Crimson. Thank you so much for joining us to break down what's next as Harvard embarks on its search for its next president. When we say that the search will be a quote-unquote global search, what does that actually mean? So this, you know, is a really monumental task for the university. We see that this is a process that in the past has normally taken around six months. You know, notably with Gay, it took about five, which is the shortest recorded selection process in the past 70 years. In the past, you know, we've seen nominations of 600 or more candidates These nominations come from faculty, they come from Harvard affiliates, from alumni. So, you know, this process involves literally hundreds and hundreds of candidates and takes, you know, hundreds of thousands of hours of sifting and working through in order to just come up with a viable shortlist of candidates before kind of that deeper analysis of how they would fit into the university system begins. Yeah, and in the past, the search committee has done this through sending hundreds of thousands of letters and emails and also speaking directly to alumni, even across the country. Something that came up a lot in the past search process, which led to Gay being selected as a president, was members of the search committee of the Corporation of Harvard's larger administration really emphasizing the fact that you don't need to be a Harvard affiliate in order to be considered for this position. You know, yet at the same time, it's important to note that every president in the last 30 years has held uh, a Harvard degree in some capacity. And so... The search committee for president is in charge of eventually narrowing down to a couple dozen candidates who they will then make a shortlist and subject them to pretty rigorous interviewing processes. Nearly all of the Harvard Corporation's 12 members and certain members of Harvard's Board of Overseers, the university's second highest governing body, are expected to serve on a search committee to select the next president. Yeah, the corporation plays a significant role, but it's usually behind the scenes. There's been a lot of intense scrutiny on the corporation, which I'm sure they weren't used to, as to whether the corporation was going to push Gay to resign, what the corporation was feeling, should members of the corporation resign. In the future, the next presidential search, there's a lot more pressure than in years past, given just how high profile the entire last few months of her presidency were. For sure. In the meanwhile, Harvard will have an interim president, Harvard Provost Alan M. Garber, class of 1976. Could you tell us a little bit about who Garber is and just what experience he's had at the university stepping into this role? 
So he's really seen as kind of the safe choice for the university as Harvard navigates, you know, this really, really difficult time. Garber graduated from the college. He graduated summa cum laude. And after graduating, he got a PhD in economics from Harvard and an MD from Stanford. For more than a decade, he's been a professor at the university, he has served as provost, you know, provost being the university's chief academic officer. He has a direct responsibility to oversee interschool initiatives, faculty development, research policy, and things like that. So, you know, we're looking at a candidate who's been extremely involved with not only the academics of Harvard, but also the more administrative side of the university. Yeah, and Garber has appointments at several different schools at Harvard, including the Harvard Medical School, Harvard's Faculty of Arts and Sciences, the Kennedy School of Government, and the Chan School of Public Health. So, Sally, tell us a little bit about students' and faculty reactions to Garber, What are they saying about Garber's appointment? Sure, absolutely. My colleagues, Tilly Robinson, Neil Shaw, Joyce Kim, and Michelle M. Ponce did some really, really great reporting on this immediately following Gay's resignation. From the faculty they spoke with, they found that almost everyone they spoke to was really optimistic. Government professor Jennifer L. Hochschild told my colleagues that she thinks, you know, Garber is really smart, he's careful, a straight shooter, and willing to admit it when he thinks he's made a mistake or when other people tell him he's made a mistake. Garber was likely an internal candidate for the presidency in 2017 when, you know, Larry Bacow was eventually appointed as president. So as interim president, Garber really isn't going to be making any big drastic changes to the university. It's really just going to be trying to bring a steadiness into a really tumultuous time for the university. And what did students say then about Garber's appointment? Sure. Michelle really found that students expressed a lot of hope that Garber would repair the university's reputation and really national image. He did tell the Crimson that he had regrets over the university's initial statement following October 7th, which failed to explicitly condemn Hamas. So students expressed hope that Garber would help repair relationships with Jewish affiliates and also pay attention to the Islamophobia on campus. One student who organized with Harvard Jews for Palestine said they hope Garber will be able to distinguish between anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism, which is, again, another big debate that we've been seeing among students on campus this past semester. So students are really hoping that Garber will be able to do things that they feel clotting gay was not really able to do adequately because of the immense national pressure and scrutiny on her and on her presidency. And we should note that Garber himself was sitting right behind Gay throughout the entire duration of the nearly six-hour congressional hearing on December 5th. This is somebody who is intimately involved with the leadership at Harvard, and Sally, as you said, certainly not a outlandish pick. Tell us a little bit about what Gay's plans are and what indications of her next steps might look like. She's going to return to the faculty. She's been an academic her entire life. There is no indication that will change. She is still under congressional investigation, but it's very clear from both her official statement and her op-ed that this was a really painful decision. And I think what happened at Harvard is a test case. So many social ills in society right now are definitely affecting everything here. It's not lost on us that as we cover the president, there's a war going on. The university is anxious to put this era behind them. There's no reason why that wouldn't also apply to Claudine Gay. Everyone kind of has to heal from this.
Newstalk is hosted, produced, and edited by Frank S. Joe. Our multimedia chairs are Julian J. Giordano and Addison Y. Liu. Our associate managing editors are Claire Yuan and Elias J. Shiskel. Our managing editor is Miles J. Herzenhorn. Our president is Jay Sellers-Hill. News clips in this episode come from NBC, CBS, CNN, and Fox. Audio from Gay's December 5th testimony comes from cspan.org. Music in this episode by Bia Wal Fang. From the Harvard Crimson, this is News Talk.